Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Go Forth and Golf. I am your host, Steve Goforth, PGA professional at Willow Creek Golf Club, and I am so excited to bring you my second episode of Go Forth and Golf. I got a lot of great feedback from the first episode. Thank you so very much to everyone who took the time to listen to that episode. If you have not had a chance to listen to that yet, please go and do so. It is much appreciated, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it and putting it together for you. Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to help you become a better golfer, to grow the game of golf, to entertain you, and most of all, to inspire you. Whether it's inspiring you with your game, whether it's inspiring you with life, whatever that may be, that's what I want to do for you. So I hope this brings that to you. Before I jump into this week's topics, I thought I'd share with you how I became a PGA professional and what inspired me to become a PGA professional and, you know, what it took to do that. So, you know, I've always felt like golf was my calling, golf is my passion, and what better way to further that in a career than to become a PGA professional. There's a lot of work that goes into becoming a PGA professional, and I get the question all the time, what did you have to do? What, what process did you go through? Well, it was a lengthy process. It's very detailed. First and foremost, we have over 20 books of study that we have to complete. We have to read. We have to do a lot of different assignments in those books. And those books basically cover everything that has to do with golf and the golf business, whether it's golf course maintenance and how to work hand-in-hand with the superintendent and make a good team how to manage the golf cart fleet there at the facility or at the golf club, and, of course, how to be a good golf instructor, how to do club repair, how to merchandise. There's a lot of business aspects that go in behind being a PGA professional, how to manage a team, how to be a leader. And I tell a lot of people it's equivalent to almost really getting a bachelor's degree in college. It's just a lot of work that goes into it. We have to pass a player ability test. So you have to be a good golfer, obviously, to be a PGA professional. So you take a player ability test. It's 36 holes in one day. You have to shoot below a certain score in order to pass that. And it involves a lot of travel for me. There's different, uh, they've changed things up a little bit to where you don't have to travel as much. Or if you're getting this at a university, such as Clemson or Mississippi State or, or many others out there, then you don't have to go through this exact process that I went through. But I had to go to Port St. Lucie, Florida, which is the headquarters, three different occasions and do testing on those three occasions on all the books that I was I was doing up to that point. So level one, I completed all those books, went down to Port St. Lucie, did the testing. Once you passed, it was rigorous testing. Let me tell you, it was a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. Once you pass, you got to stay on and do seminars for level two. You come back home, you do all those books, you submit them for grade. If you pass that, you get to come back down to Port St. Lucie and do testing for level two and everything that you learned. If you pass that, then you get to stay for seminars for level three. You come home, you do level three testing, submit those for testing, or for grading rather, and if you pass that, 
You get to come back down again for the third and final time for more testing. And if you pass all those tests, you become a PGA professional. And let me tell you something. When I passed, oh my gosh, what a uh, what a lot of emotion. It was just a lot of work that led up to that and uh, such a relief and just such happiness that I accomplished that. I worked so hard to be able to wear that PGA logo and, and represent that, that PGA logo on my shirt, on my hat, on my business card. And I was so proud to be able to do that after I passed all those tests and did all the work and became a PGA professional. So I am so happy to be a part of the PGA of America. I'm super proud to be a representative for them on many different levels and on many different types of platforms. So thank you to the PGA of America for allowing me to be a part of this organization. And for all those listening out there that if you're thinking about becoming a PGA professional and putting in that work, please give me a call. I'll be happy to sit down and talk to you about that. I've done that on numerous occasions with other people who have thought about becoming a PGA professional, and I would love to share my experience and my advice to you. So I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of insight of what it took for me to accomplish this goal. And uh, there's further work that goes into that. So to maintain my uh, professional level, I have to have continued education, which I do all the time. And that just helps me to not only maintain my membership with PGA of America, but it also helps me to learn new things, things that are changing, ways the industry is changing, and how to become better at everything that I'm trying to do, whether it's running a golf facility, whether it's being a golf instructor. So I really love the, um, the extra work that we have to put into that in order to maintain that expertise. It's not like, hey, you become a member and then you're done. No, you got to keep going and you got to keep learning. You got to keep growing as a professional and as a person. So I really like that aspect of it. All right, so let's talk about what's going down in this episode. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about the mental game, which I am so excited to bring you. I went to a fantastic seminar with Dr. Bob Rotella, who's written a lot of books about the mental game of golf, and I made a lot of notes that I wanted to share with you in this episode. I'll also talk about golf etiquette, some things that you need to know or maybe some of your playing partners uh, need to know about in terms of how to display better golf etiquette on the golf course. I have a wonderful interview that I've conducted with Jose Alvarez with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Jose is a former pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. We talk a little bit about his baseball career and also what he's doing in the game of golf and with the FCA. So without further ado, let's tee it up. All right, I am very excited about this segment, the mental game. The mental game is extremely important to your golf game. It's just as important, if not more so, than the physical aspects of your game. So this segment is going to hopefully help you improve your mental game. I had the privilege of attending a seminar with Dr. Bob Rotella with other fellow PGA professionals, and I got so much out of this seminar. And I'm sitting there in a seminar, I'm making notes like a madman. I'm like, I've got to share this with everyone. I've got to share this on my podcast. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go over what I feel were the top 10 points that he made during this seminar that I think will be the most influential for your golf game. Now, what I recommend you doing is once you've listened to this once, rewind. Go back and listen to it again because there's going to be some things we're going to talk about that I think you need to listen to again. 
and it just it's going to make it a lot more impactful and it's going to resonate with you a lot better when you go back and listen to it again. Some of the things I'm going to expand upon just a little bit more, but I I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen to this again. All right, so let's jump into the points made by Dr. Bob Rutzel at this seminar. Point number one, you need to be in a good mood or a good state of mind all the time when you're on the golf course. Now, you're listening to that, you just heard that, and you're like, Steve, there's absolutely no way that I can be in a great mood all the time on the golf course because I'm going to hit a bad shot. Yes, that's true. What I'd like for you to take from this is the majority of the time, you need to be in a good mood. You need to be in a good state of mind. If you're in a negative state of mind, a lot of negative things are going to happen to you on the golf course. So what he's trying to say is just be in a good mood, be in a good state of mind when you're out there on the golf course. Point number two, you have to be able to love golf all the time, not just when you're doing well. Now, I know that's hard to do sometimes. We love this game when we hit that drive right down the middle. We knock that iron shot two feet from the pin and make birdie. That's when we love the game. But you have to be able to love it all the time when you're not doing well. That unconditional love for the game, the same way you're going to have unconditional love for a family member or a good friend. At some point in time, your family member or your friend did something to you and it made you mad, but you still loved them. You love them unconditionally. That's the way you've got to look at the game. You can't let the bad that happens to you on the golf course make you fall out of love with the game or make you hate the game. So always be in love with the game at all times, not just when you're doing well. Practice that. I'm telling you, it's going to help you tremendously. Point number three, a person who's angry or mad most of the time or the majority of the round will never be successful. All right, so it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry during the round. That's going to happen to all of us. It happens to the best of them in the world. But when you're that way the majority of the time or all the time during your round, don't count on being successful. And, and how much does that parallel to life? I mean, if you're angry or mad all the time in life, are you really going to be successful? Probably not. So try to have a better mood out there. Try not to be so angry. Try not to be so mad at yourself when you mess up. Point number four, throw away your limits. Don't think you're not good enough. Don't let anyone or any circumstance define your goals or your dreams or limit your goals or limit your dreams. You need to see your talents. Do not see your flaws. So just throw away those limits. And a lot of times when we're playing bad, we tend to focus on the flaws more than we focus on the good things. For example, we ripped a drive right down the middle, 250. We split the fairway, but we did not hit the green in regulation on the next shot. And, and we focus on, oh, I didn't hit the green. I hit a great drive, and I just screwed that drive up because I did not hit my green in regulation. You cannot think like that. Or maybe you have the mentality of, well, I'm playing with some good golfers today, and I'm just not as good as them. I'm going to stink it up. I'm going to embarrass myself. You just can't think that you're not good enough. So don't limit yourself. Don't think you're not good enough. Don't let anyone or any circumstance define that. Point number five, your perception of your, this is, I love this one. I absolutely love this one. Your perception of your talent is way more important than what talent you do have. I'm going to say that again. Your perception of your talent is way more important than what talent you do have. So if how you view yourself means so much more than what talent you do have. For example, if you feel that you're a terrible putter, that you just can't make putts or you can't read greens, going back to my last episode, you're going to be that way. And that's going to define you. It's going to tell you who you are. Is You're basically telling yourself, hey, I'm not a good putter. 
and that's who you're going to be. Your perception of yourself is extremely important. So have confidence. Even though you may not be putting well, you may not be the greatest putter in the world, that's okay. Know that you can improve and know that you're going to improve. Focus on the fact that, hey, I'm going to get better, not that I stink at putting. Point number six, be on the golf course looking for something great to happen, not something bad. For example, don't think about, oh my gosh, I'm going to slice in the trees like I did two rounds ago, or, oh, here's that bunker in front of the green. I'm going to dump it in that bunker. I see it happen. I know I'm going to do it. I did that last. I do that every time I'm on this hole. I dump it in this bunker. Or, oh my gosh, there's that pond. And I did not clear the pond on my drive the last time I was here. I really hope I don't do that again. You have to stand over that shot, see the ball flying over that pond, or tell yourself, you know what, today I'm getting over that pond. Today I'm clearing that bunker. you got to have that mentality. Regardless of whether you do it or not, you've got to go into that shot with that mentality. You have to go into your round looking for something great to happen, not looking for something bad to happen. So convince yourself that you're going to do something incredible. Not just in golf, it goes for life too. Convince yourself that you're going to do something incredible on your next round. Point number seven. This seems a little detailed, but hear me out on this. Write down how you're going to think approaching certain shots. So before you approach your tee shot, before the shot, actually standing over the ball, what are you going to be thinking about? Going down the fairway to your next shot. And most importantly, after the outcome of the shot. That's where we all fall victim to some bad thoughts. After the shot, if it was bad, we really beat ourselves up or really get angry. So take the time to write down how you want to think. For example, before I, or as I approach my tee shot, I'm going to be thinking about my target. Or I'm going to be thinking about my setup position. And then when you're over the ball, you're going to be thinking about your target again, the shot or seeing the shot, envisioning envisioning the shot that you want to hit, maybe some setup uh, reminders, whatever that may be. And then after the shot, as you're going to your ball in the fairway, think about, hey, uh, I want to strategize on my next shot. Or maybe I'm just going to think about my day today. Whatever that is, come up with a planned way to think. that. And again, that could be really detailed for some of you guys or ladies, and you're listening to this like, you know what, that's way too much trouble. I'm going to sit there. I'm not going to sit there and write out everything I'm going to be thinking about during the round. I know it sounds a little much, but you will be amazed at how well that could help you because it keeps you in the moment. And the reason for doing that is it blocks out or it... it it prevents you from, from your mind wandering to things it shouldn't wander to on the golf course, those negative things that we talked about. So try it and see how it works. Point number eight, you've got to see the shot in your mind in order for it to happen. If you can't see it, it's likely not to occur. And I use this all the time. Think about any other sport out there, for example. Think about a field goal kicker. He's staying over a field goal, especially a game winner. He's envisioning that ball flying through the uprights a quarterback he hits the field before he takes his team on the game winning drive he's seeing himself take his team to the end zone before it even happens you know it could be a pitcher before he makes a pitch on the pitcher's mound 
he sees a strike before he before he throws a strike. A batter in the batter's box. There's so many different examples. A free throw shooter standing on the free throw line. He sees the ball going in before he shoots it. So mental imagery is huge. So see the shot that you want to hit. Paint that picture. Back in the day, Jack Nicholas and probably still does it when he plays. He played a movie in his in his brain in his mind of the shot that he wanted to hit. Tiger was also great at that. A lot of these guys are really good about seeing and envisioning the shot that they're trying to hit. So try that. It's, it's super, super important, and it really helps. Point number nine, think about how good you'll look and feel after hitting a shot from a bad spot rather than feeling sorry for yourself or being mad at yourself for hitting it in that bad spot. For example, you slice the ball into the trees. Instead of being mad and angry at the fact that you hit the ball there and you shouldn't have hit it there and you're cussing, you're spitting, and you're just, I can't believe I did that. Start thinking about how good you're going to look when you hit that low stinger out of those trees and it has a little baby fade on it and it rolls up on the front of the green. Imagine how that's going to look. So think about how good you're going to look when you recover from that bad, that bad shot. Look forward to going down there and hitting that next shot. Approach it from the mentality of, hey, watch this. And when you do that, you could be amazed at how well that shot would turn out because you're thinking about something positive. You're thinking about progressing forward and getting yourself out of a bad spot and not thinking about why you got yourself there in the first place. I tell that to a lot of my students when they hit bunker shots. How many times have you walked in a bunker and you're so mad that you hit it in the bunker, you're scared because you don't know how to hit a good bunker shot, you're fearful you're going to stay in the bunker, you're going to blade it over. All these thoughts are going through your mind as opposed to stepping in that bunker and thinking to yourself, watch how close I put this next to the flag. And that's the mentality you got to have going into that bunker, for example. It's not about getting out. It's about how close I'm going to stick this thing next to the pin. All right, finally, point number 10. This is a really good one. It's impossible to have a good short game if you don't have a good mind. And it's impossible to have a good mind if you don't have a good short game. I'm going to read that again. It's impossible to have a good short game if you don't have a good mind, and it's impossible to have a good mind if you don't have a good short game. Bottom line, have a good short game. If you have a short game that you can go to to get you out of trouble, you're going to be a lot more comfortable with your golf game. Having a good short game is going to pull you out of a lot of bad scenarios and if you don't have that good short game, it's really impossible to have a good frame of mind because you're always going to be second guessing. You're always going to be fearful when you get around a green because you're not going to trust your short game. Work on the short game. Make it solid. Make it dependable. Make it something you can go to and feel comfortable with because when your short game's good, your mind's going to be good. When your mind's good, your short game's going to be good. They go hand in hand. So that is the top 10 points that I wanted to share with you from Dr. Bob Rotella from the seminar that I attended. One of the best seminars I think I've ever attended in my career. If you want to learn more from Dr. Rotella and what he talks about in some of the books, I'm going to list off some of these books. Go check them out. Golf is not a game of perfect. How Champions Think. Your 15th Club. Putting Out of Your Mind. That's one of my favorite ones. The Unstoppable Golfer. The Golfer's Mind. Golf is a game of confidence, and then finally, life is not a game of perfect. All of those books are must-reads, and they're short reads. They're not, not going to take you very long. I think you will really enjoy them. I highly recommend them. I hope these tips help you 
to approach the game better, to have a more positive outlook, to be successful, don't put yourself in a situation mentally that will cause you to have a bad round. I'm going to quote Jack Nicholas in saying, why would we willingly replay a bad shot in our mind? Why would we? What good is that going to do for your game to willingly think about a bad shot? So put it out of your mind, approach the game in a more positive manner. And again, I highly encourage you to go back, listen to this again, let it resonate with you, think about some of these things, put it to practice. And next time I see you, I'd love to know if it helped you. Golf etiquette is something that I don't think gets talked about enough, and uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to golf etiquette. There's people, obviously, that have been playing the game for a long time, think they understand etiquette, but maybe they don't know certain things that they should know, and then there's beginner golfers. If you're listening out there, you're just starting the game, and you're kind of confused by, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? Well, that's where I want to help today. I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk about golf etiquette in this episode and see if I can clear up any questions and help you to enjoy the game better. That's what it's all about. We want to enjoy the game more, and when we're displaying proper etiquette, not only is it going to be fun for us, but it's also going to be more fun for those that we are playing with. So let's jump right in. First and foremost, when you schedule a tee time, you want to make sure you arrive early. For example, if you make a tee time at 10 o'clock in the morning, that is the time you should be teeing the ball on the ground, not checking in at the golf shop. That's something that we encounter a lot at our golf course, and I've talked to a lot of other golf courses that experience the same exact thing. Golfers, there's a misconception of, well, I had a tee time at 10, I'm checking in at 10. So always remember, whatever tee time you set, that is a time you should be teeing it in the ground, barring there are no delays uh, from the end of the golf course. Sometimes golf courses have frost delays or you know delays because other people are running behind on their tee time. So that's not just for your sake, it's for everybody behind you, because if you get behind, the whole golf course could get behind. So please be on time for that tee time. Teeing it in the ground at your designated time. Before you arrive to the golf course, make sure you find out what their dress code is. Most golf courses are going to require you to have a collared shirt on, and also most golf courses will ask you not to wear denim jeans or denim pants. Now, I get the question a lot, what is the deal? Why do golf courses have dress codes? Well, golf has long had a dress code, and etiquette that players, they need to adhere to. So this has been a way to keep new golfers as well as veteran golfers of the game in line with the traditions of the game. So each golf course... Uh, has its own rules, has its own dress codes. At Willow Creek, we require you to have collared shirts and no denim. And we don't usually run into denim, obviously, in the summertime because most people are wearing shorts. In wintertime, we do we do have that. And trust me when I say it's not fun for the golf course to remind people of their dress code. It's very uncomfortable to ask someone if they brought a collared shirt with them. Some golf courses like us, we do have collared shirts that we wash, we keep in the back, so in case someone needs one, we can provide one. But it's, it's always very, very uncomfortable to ask, hey, do you have a collared shirt on you? We have a dress code. So avoid all that. Avoid the questions. Avoid their uncomfortableness on your end and the golf course's end by making sure you always find out what their dress code is before you arrive to the course. 
Before you tee off, make sure you read the local rules that are on the back of the scorecard. Most golf courses are going to have local rules, and those local rules can really help guide you around that golf course. They may identify certain drop zones, out of bounds on certain areas that you may not know about, and also reminding you about pace of play and other things that they like to enforce at the golf course. So make sure you take the time to flip that scorecard over or open it up and read those. At Willow Creek, on the back of our scorecard, we list our local rules. If you've never seen those, check those out next time you come out here. Also, when you're up on the first tee and you're getting ready to tee off, identify your golf ball to your playing competitors or your playing partners. It's really good to make an identifying mark on your golf ball to just inform the other players of the type of ball you're playing, the number on your ball, whatever it may be. Some people like to draw designs on their golf ball or whatever it is. Just identify it to your playing partners so that when you get out in the fairway, it's really easy to identify. There's no confusion. You don't have to worry about somebody hitting the wrong golf ball. And it also helps tremendously with pace of play. Speaking of pace of play, as I mentioned in my last episode, episode one, Keep up with that group ahead of you. It doesn't matter if you do not see the group behind you pushing you. We see that a lot. A ranger may be going around the golf course and may come up on a group that's behind and they'll say, well, you know, I don't see the group behind us. That doesn't really matter. You got to make sure you keep up with the group ahead of you because the group behind you, they may be holding back a little bit because you're playing slow and they don't want to push up on you a little bit. So they're hanging back, and then what that's going to do is back up play behind them even further. Pace of play is one of the biggest deterrents of a good round of golf, and I can't express it enough to make sure you maintain that healthy pace, not only just for your sake, but for the sake of everybody behind you. So if you didn't check out episode one, go back and listen to that and listen to my tips. It'll help you maintain a great pace of play. All right, so we're on the golf course, and there's certain things we want to make sure we do to protect the golf course, to respect the golf course. And I'm going to go back to that word respect here a little bit later. One of those things is replacing your divot or filling your divot with sand. At Willow Creek, we have sand bottles on our golf course. Most golf courses have that. Fill the divot with the sand that we provide for you. It's really important. The misconception is with the sand kind of helps the grass grow. That's not necessarily the case. It's really just to help the grass grow over smoother so that when the divot is filled in with grass, you couldn't even tell it was there's no indention into the ground. Filling divots and replacing divots is really important to make sure the golf course and the fairway looks really good. See a lot of people that just do not take the time to do this. Some of it's intentional. Some of it isn't. You get in a hurry, especially if there's a group behind you, you're trying to move on. Maybe you got frustrated because you hit a bad shot and you just completely forget to do it. Please fill your divots. Please. It makes a huge difference in how great that fairway is going to look. If you hit the ball in the bunker, make sure you rake that bunker after your shot. That is another huge complaint we get at our golf course and other golf courses receive is that people ahead of them were disrespectful and did not rake the bunker. Their ball rolls into the bunker, rolls into a footprint. Or it may roll into the spot where they just hit their shot. Doesn't take much time to go behind yourself and rake that bunker. The point of impact, your footprints, 
Obviously, you want to start at your point of impact and work your way out of the bunker to the lowest point of the bunker. Another thing that we see is that golfers will enter a bunker, but they come in at the steepest face or steepest part of the bunker, the face of the bunker. They step down into it, and then that causes a huge indention in the sand. So never enter a bunker from the high side. You always want to enter the bunker from the lowest side. It's going to make it a whole lot easier for you to rake it. Please rake those bunkers. We get a ton of complaints about that because people just do not take time. It is such a respectful thing to do for everybody playing behind you. The last thing you want to do is roll into someone's footprint, so please don't let that happen to someone else. Also, another huge point I want to make here, repairing ball marks or indentations on the green. That one is something that every golf course battles, us especially. We just switched over to Tiff Eagle Bermuda Greens, which we're extremely proud of. They look awesome. Prior to that, we had bent grass greens. Bent grass was a little softer, makes that indention a little bit more, and it would cause craters into the green once they hit in. And so many people just do not take the time to fix ball marks. I cannot express that enough. We actually give away free ball mark repair tools at our counter. If you don't have one, please pick one up next time you check in at our pro shop. We do that to encourage people to fix those ball marks. It, it makes the green look better. You don't want to you know, be in a situation where you hit on the green and you've got a ball mark that's right in your line that you have to fix because someone else wasn't courteous enough to do that. And when you fix that ball mark, make sure you do it properly. The proper way to fix a ball mark is to push in around the size, not lift up on that ball mark from the bottom. What that does is it lifts dirt up to the surface you pat it down, mowers go over it, they scalp it, you got a little dark spot there. You always want to push in around that ball mark. It, in doing that and do it properly, it's almost as if that ball mark never existed. So I'm going to go back to that word respect. Filling your divots, replacing your divots, raking the bunker, fixing ball marks. Those are all simple things that show respect to the golf course and respect to people playing behind you. And that's what this game is founded upon, respect, sportsmanship. And a lot of people forget about that. So please respect the golf course. I am a big believer on if you respect the golf course, it will repay you tenfold. You may get that lucky bounce out of the trees. You may get that putt that roll, that hangs on a lip but rolls in. There's so many thing, good things that can happen to you when you show respect to that golf course and show respect to other golfers on the golf course. So you're on the green, you fix your ball mark. Once you get up there, what kind of etiquette should we show on the putting green? First and foremost, don't step in your players, your fellow players putting line, that imaginary line that connects the ball to the hole. Don't step in that line because it could disrupt that putt for that person. So always step over or go around their line. Also, don't stand where you might distract your fellow player. Don't move. A lot of people will walk around when someone's trying to putt or stand right behind them when they're trying to make a putt. You don't want to do that when I say right behind them, right down the line, trying to read maybe your, your ball marks up in front of them. You're going to get a read on the putt. You don't want to do that. You want to step to the side. Once they putt, you can come in behind them and try to see how that putt's going to break. So never stand in the eyesight of someone on the green, it could just be a distraction. Also, if you take the flag stick out, don't lay it on the green, 
You want to lay it off the green to prevent doing any damage to the green. And the key words there are lay it beside the green. Don't throw it beside the green. We see that quite often. So lay it next to the green. That prevents any damage not only to the green but to the flag stick itself. For safety's sake, never hit your golf ball when there's a chance you might be able to reach the group ahead of you. And anytime you do hit that shot and you think there's even a remote chance of hitting the other player, yell for immediately and make a point of apologizing to players if your ball lands near them. It doesn't take long. We've, we've all been guilty of it. We don't mean to do it. We hit into someone because we didn't see them. I always drive up and I apologize. Guys, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you up there. I, I greatly apologize. I hope, have a good day. I hope the rest of the round goes well. It doesn't take much and it goes a long way. If you're on the receiving end of that, someone drives into you, don't get angry. Don't put the ball in your pocket. Don't hit it back to them. Don't cuss at them. Don't get mad at them. That does absolutely no good and we need to act respectfully to those people. If it happens on more than one occasion and you feel like, hey, this is intentional. They're trying to get us to speed up. They're hitting into us on purpose. That happens. Handle it with grace. Handle it with respect. Politely go back to those guys and say, guys, you've hit into us twice. Please don't do it again. If that doesn't work, call the golf course pro shop. Have someone come out and handle that situation for you so it doesn't escalate to a place it should not go. So just show respect. Again, that's our word respect. Show respect to those in front of you and don't hit into them. All right, you've made the turn. You're thirsty. You're hungry. Let's stop in there and get us something to eat, something to drink, and uh, make our round even more enjoyable. If you do that, get your desired items from the restaurant and proceed to the tent tee as quickly as possible to maintain a healthy pace of play. Don't stop and eat at the turn. Groups often think it's okay to sit and eat and let groups just play through. However, you'll run into a situation where you have to cut back in front of someone to enter back on the golf course. And then those players, they won't know who you are. They're not going to recognize you because you haven't been in front of them the whole front nine. And they're not going to understand and then they're going to question, where'd you come from? Especially if you hold up play. So do everything you can to stop in at the, at the grill, get you something to eat, get you something to drink, but then proceed to the tent tea. Don't stop and eat. And that disrupts pace of play. You're on the golf course with your buddy. You're on the driving range with your friend, or maybe it's a stranger. Maybe it's someone you just met. Don't voluntarily give someone you don't know or even you do know golf tips on the driving range or on the golf course. Unless they're asking you for a tip, don't give it to them because they may be getting golf instruction from someone else and then you're going to completely conflict what their instructor is trying to tell them. So unless they ask for it, don't give them a tip. I know you want to try to help. There's a lot of guys out there. Look, that's my buddy. I want him to play good. I'm seeing he's over the top on these downswings. I got to do something. I got to tell him. Just ask him if it's okay first. Don't always assume that he's looking for golf instruction or looking for a tip because he may be trying to work it out on his own or he could be trying to work it out with his instructor. Even if he has these outbursts of anger, he's cussing, he's throwing his clubs, refrain from giving him that tip. 
but make it a point to tell him it's not okay to cuss and throw your club because you know what? That's unpleasurable. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to see that. So displaying frustration is one thing, but outbursts of temper are quite another. Yelling, screaming, throwing your clubs, or otherwise just making a fool of yourself is unacceptable. And in some cases, it's dangerous to yourself and others. So scale that temper back a little bit. Show respect not only to yourself, but to everyone around you. Golf cart etiquette is something that everyone needs to be more conscientious of. Respect the cart signs that the golf course has put out there. An example of that is if there are cart signs leading up to the green pointing you to the cart path, make sure you respect those and don't go beyond those signs because you just want to get closer to the green don't feel like walking that day. Respect all cart signs that lead you back to that cart path and also respect the holes that are cart path only. They're going to be cart path only for a reason. Obviously from a lot of rain, maybe there's some repair work going on on that golf hole, especially in the winter time. In the winter, the grass isn't growing, and so if you come off that golf come off that cart path onto the fairway when it's really wet, it's going to put indentions and tire marks which will be there until the grass starts growing again. So winter time's really crucial, and you'll see a lot of golf courses implement cart path only more so in the winter time because of that. Please respect cart path only signs. Par threes, for example, are generally going to be cart path only because there's no fairway on a par three. Most golf courses will also make par threes cart path only. If so, there'll be a sign at the tee box, or it could be on that scorecard if you went back and read the local rules stating that all par threes are cart path only. So just pay attention to that. It's important to respect the cart signs, respect the cart rules on the golf course. Finally, at the end of the round, shake hands with your fellow players. Congratulate the winners, maybe console the losers, and thank them for their company. At the end of the day, the great pleasure of the game is the time that you spent with your friends and your family, whether it's old friends or new friends you just made through the game because you got paired up. Congratulate them, thank them, console them, buy them a beer, buy them a soda, buy them a hot dog, whatever you want to do but spend that time with them and thank them for spending their day with you. I hope these etiquette tips helped you hit home with you and you heard it and you're like, you know what? I totally forgot about that. I'm glad he said that. If you know somebody that maybe needs to listen to this, but you don't want to tell them yourself, say, hey, there's this really cool podcast called Go Forth and Golf and he talked about golf etiquette. You got to go check that out. A little indiscreet way there to tell them. Listen, you need to improve your your golf course etiquette. Regardless of what the situation is, I hope it helps you. I hope it helps your playing partners. And the whole point of this is to be more respectful to your fellow golfers and more respectful to the golf course. It's time for an interview section of the show, and my guest for this episode is Jose Alvarez. Jose had a fantastic career in Major League Baseball. He spent some of that time with the Atlanta Braves. He then transitioned into professional golf and is also 
involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the FCA. He's going to share some really cool stories about his time with FCA, also his time with Corn Ferry Tour players, and also a little bit of his career in Major League Baseball, and much more. So let's head into that interview with Jose Alvarez. Jose, welcome to Go Forth in Golf. I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with me and be my guest today. How are you? You know, I couldn't be better. I, I tell people, Steve, that today could be the greatest day of your life. So uh, it's, I know it's the only day that I have this week that uh, starts with a Tuesday. That's right. That's right. It's a great way to look at it. So you currently work for the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. What is the mission of that organization? You know, Steve, this organization has been around since 1954. It's been reaching coaches and athletes and you know, it's been a, a great track record of this, uh, of this ministry. In fact, Billy Graham said it best that a coach will impact a kid's life more in one year than most people would in a lifetime. So it's, a, it's a, not only, you know, across the U.S., it's around the world now. And FCA is doing a great job of, of uh, reaching coaches and athletes and all they influence. We work closely with Corn Ferry Tour pros, the wives of the players, the, their caddies, and also uh, local PGA professionals like myself. What help do you provide to them? Well, I look at it that we all need encouragement. Professional sports is tough in general, and, and golf is probably the most emotionally draining of all the sports because it's an individual sport. In other sports, uh, you can have an off day, and if you're a, if you're a football player, you know, you might uh, not have your best day on the running game, but your, your quarterback and your wide receivers pick you up. And baseball could be, you know, you might hang a curveball and a guy hits a ball in the gap and your center field and makes a diving catch. So uh, unlike uh, those sports, golf is a, a you know day where you're, you don't have a teammate uh, unless you're playing in a Ryder Cup event and, and your partner's playing great. But it's an individual sport, and if you hit it out of bounds, you don't have anybody there to, to pick you up. So um, these guys need some encouragement, and we are out there to really – help them navigate through life, um, help them understand that they're more than a golf score just because they shoot 62 one day or 82 the next doesn't change uh, who they are and the purpose for that, which they've been created. Yeah. I mean, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head. It, it is, uh, there's, there's no other, uh, there's no teammates that can lift you up. So having that community is huge. Well, it is, you know, and, and just meeting with you and some of the other local PGA club professionals in the area. I mean, you guys are working long hours, long weeks. You have a lot of bosses with members and you need encouragement. You may not be out there playing on tour week in and week out, but, you know, we just, that, that's how I think life has been designed for us to live in community with each other. And it's a good way of looking at it. And and that's what we offer out there on the Corn Ferry Tour, as well as uh, here locally in, in the upstate of South Carolina. Jose, you had a great career as a pitcher in the major leagues. You spent a lot of time with the Atlanta Braves. You played 16 seasons of professional baseball with parts of five years in the major leagues with the Atlanta Braves. You had a 2.99 ERA. You had a lifetime batting average of 273. You played with some great Hall of Famers, and you were recently inducted into the Louisiana Raging Cajun Hall of Fame. Talk to me a little bit about that, and, and I mean that's an impressive resume. Well, thanks, Steve. I, I was guess I had great teammates around me because uh, I probably really wasn't that good, but I did have good work ethic, and 
you know, as a pitcher, we always think that we can hit. So uh, my, my lifetime ERA, while it's pretty respectable at 2.99, I'm especially proud of the 273 batting average. But people say, well, man, you must have got a lot of at-bats. I tell them, hey, it's just a number. It doesn't matter how it got there. So <laughs> um, that's the that's the hard, hard truth about that. You, you know, I did. I played with some great Hall of Famers, played against some Hall of Famers. And um, while I'll never – uh, be inducted in Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. It was an honor to go into my college athletic Hall of Fame uh, in November of last year. And I, I, I look back and uh, in my induction speech, I said, you know, it was really more about our team and the teammates that I had. And, you know, while I was the one that was being inducted that night, or my name was the one that was being called out, uh, I said, you know, there's 28 other guys that were inducted uh, tonight with me. And that was great teammates. And you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, I got to go a lot of different places, play in some awesome stadiums, and it was, it was enjoyable. And one of the benefits and perks about playing Major League Baseball is you got to play a lot of golf on road trips, and the Braves were always you know, known to have some pretty good uh, players or golfers that were pitchers. So uh, we got to play some special golf courses. Well, talk to me about that transition. You mean transition out of baseball and into golf. How did that happen? Well, I played a lot of charity events, and, and I just always enjoyed the competition. So I started playing and uh, started playing pretty well. And uh, I actually uh, played in a professional tournament right here in the upstate of South Carolina called the Carolina Mountain Tour. And the first event that I played in, I won. It was out at Links of Tryon. And I tell people, you know, it's my claim to fame is that I, in golf, that I, I beat William McGirt. So William McGirt played in that event and nice. uh, he finished second to me. So, you know, I let him know that, hey, this is, this is, you know, my, my little uh, bragging rights here. But, uh, you know, it was fun. I, I realized very quickly that um, it, it is a difficult game to play professionally and, you know, while I was out there, I got to play a year out on what was called the U.S. Pro Golf Tour, and guys like Kevin Strillman played on it, and William McGirt, and others that ended up playing on the PGA Tour. But what I found very quickly that probably more than the playing, I had a heartbeat to help these guys navigate. In fact, one guy asked me on the putting green one day, he said, hey, you know, how did you handle the pressure in baseball? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, didn't you pitch in front of a lot of people? And I said, well, yeah, when well, we were on the road, but at home when I was playing for the Braves, we weren't real good, so we didn't get too many people. So <laughs> it wasn't that nerve-wracking. But I, I came to understand that baseball was what I did. It didn't define who I was as a man. And so when I told this young kid, you know, he's probably about 23 years old, been out of college short time, and he was trying to make his way in professional golf. And this tour started up, and I was fortunate to play on it in 2006, and and so I, I I realized, gosh, I'm out here to maybe just be an encourager and influencer to some of these young guys, and so I started meeting with guys one on one, and then they would bring a friend, and the next thing you know, you know, we had several guys attending on a weekly basis, and one guy asked me one day, he says, hey, what do you call that stuff that you guys do on Thursday night before the tournament? I said, well we just call it tour life talk. And, and he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, it's just basically an opportunity for guys to get together and, you know, discuss, uh, you know, tour golf and life and uh, look at some principles that'll give us authentic success in the journey of life and golf. And, 
and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Golf Ministry heard about what I was doing, called me up and asked me if I'd be interested in uh, helping them. At that time, it was called the Buy.com Tour, and I said, I'm not interested. And they go, well, would you pray about it? And I was like, uh, you know, how do you say, no, I'm not going to pray about it. I know what God wants, but I said, sure, I'll pray about it. And within a few months, uh, it was obvious that this was a calling and an opportunity for me to invest in other people's lives. So this is my 14th year that I've been doing uh, work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and particularly here in the upstate. You know, I like to I like to tell a lot of students that golf parallels life in, in so many ways. What are some of the life lessons you've learned from playing the game, but also from helping others through the FCA? You know, golf is, it's just like life. I mean, you get bad bounces in, in uh, golf. You have difficult stances. Uh, sometimes the ball goes in what used to be called the hazards. Now they're called penalty areas. Uh, and it's learning to navigate through them, you know, like a tour pro does. You know, the, you got to realize if a good, smart tour pro goes in every event realizing that he's not going to hit every shot perfect. And more importantly is that how do you prepare uh, for those shots when, when they come and they don't go as, as you plan. So it's like that in life, in marriage, in parenting, in your careers. Life isn't about perfect. Uh, for, for me, it's, it's about trusting and following the one who is perfect, and, and that is the life of Jesus and the life that he has to offer us now in the future. That's a great point. We have an event here in Greenville uh, through the Corn Ferry Tour, the BMW Charity Pro-Am. And you were actually a celebrity golfer in, in that tournament a few years back. Talk to me about that experience, and, and do you have a fun story you can share from that experience? Well, I'm really thankful that I've been included to be part of the BMW Charity Pro-Am as a celebrity. And, uh, and to have won it in 2018 was very special. My partner was Jared Wolf. Unfortunately, I had elbow surgery in December of 2018, so I couldn't defend the title last year. But... I'm going to give it my best to regain the title this June. Uh, actually, it's the week of June 1 through 7. So uh, any listeners are out there, I'd love for you to come out and, and, uh, and just be out there. But, uh, you know, it was funny. Uh, one thing that happened, uh, I think it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time. I got a new set of uh, irons. And for some reason, when they were put together, I, I think the – the weight on them was so much different and I I didn't even hit any balls with them the day before and I was which which is really stupid you don't go into a tournament doing that but you know it's just a fun event and I really wasn't thinking about winning although you know you're competitive and you want to play well so here I am it's an hour before my tea time and I'm on the range and I've got like a ton of lead tape and I'm just jamming lead tape on there and these pros are looking at me like what is he doing <laughs> I bet so that, that was like you know you don't do that but uh, the other story that I thought was kind of cool was on Sunday my partner Jared Wolf and I were paired with Brandon Matthews who's he's one of the longest hitters on tour on any tour and in fact uh, he just played in the uh, Arnold Palmer invitation we got a sponsor exemption because of something that had happened uh, in a Latin American tournament that he handled with such grace and dignity. Uh, uh, and if anybody just Googles Brandon Matthews, you'll see, you know, how he handled something that was just, it was really kind of like Arnold Palmer just to ha handle it with class. And I think that's probably why he got an invitation. But anyway, 
he's he's known to just bomb it. I mean, 350 is just common. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's hitting bombs past every tour player, you know, regularly. Well, being over 60, I got to play the tournament uh, sets a tease up for the older guys. And on several holes, I'd have an 80 to 100-yard advantage ahead of him. But at Thornblade on Sunday, he hit a drive on 60. In fact, every par five at Thornblade, he hit driver wedge or driver nine iron. Wow. I mean, that's how, that's how far he hits it. Well, he hit a drive on 16, and it seemed like the ball was in the air forever. And uh, then I hit after he hit. I was at my tee. And so, you know, I, I kind of play pretty quick when, uh, you know, I have the opportunity. And, and so I hit, and he didn't know where I hit my ball, but I I'd smoked it pretty good. So we walk into the fairway and there's three balls and you can see them like separated about 50 yards, you know, by between each one. Jared's ball was first. And I mean, he hit it out there like 300. And then there's another ball up there and Brandon's walking up thinking it's my ball, you know, and he's like, Hey, you got, got a pretty good shot. Well, I, I knew where my ball was and I just keep walking right past him. And he walks up and he goes, Hey, Oh, Oh, this is my ball. And I said, Brandon, <laughs> Now you know how the other guys on the Corn Ferry Tour feel when they play with you. And I just nice. kept walking back. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. You mentioned Brandon Matthews. How about some other players that have, have caught your eye on the Corn Ferry Tour that you think could do well on the PGA Tour? You know, there's a lot of guys that are really good out there, and they just keep coming. I, I like Jared Wolf. I like the way his game's shaking out. He's already won. Uh, he won the second event of the year this year. Uh, but there's so many good guys. A couple names that pop up. Davis Riley, a kid out of Mississippi, has had great success. Uh, Charlie Saxon. Uh, these are a couple guys I keep my eye on as well. What advice would you give someone who is new to the game of golf? You know, I think having fun is probably the most important thing. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of guys that, um, you know, jump in and, and they play the game you know, too serious right off the bat. Uh, I, I taught my son from 14 in, inches out. And what I mean by that is, is I wanted him to have some fun and some success right off the bat. So I took him to the putting green, gave him, had a little putter cut down to his size, and I put a ball 14 inches from the hole. And I said, Austin, when you make three in a row, I'm going to give you a quarter, but not until you make three in a row. And so he, you know, it took him a while, but finally he made three putts in a row. And then I moved him back from 14 inches to 24 inches. And I said, okay, same thing. When you make three in a row, what, he didn't get it done the second time. So the next day I said, let's go back and try it again. So we kept doing it to where, you know, we kept moving it back farther. So putting, you know, 50% of your, or more of your shots are, you know, inside a hundred yards and putting, you know, is, is the majority of those. So I feel like if you can teach someone how to putt right off the bat and they can get comfortable with, um, you know, two putting every green and then, you know, working on some chipping and short game, I feel like if you learn the, the, the game from the hole back towards the tee box, uh, I think you can have a lot more fun with it. Absolutely. You know, similar to what da- uh, Tiger's dad uh, taught him was start from the green, work your way backwards. And also I think another good idea – and I tell a lot of my students is come up with your own personal par. If your own personal par on a par four is an eight, and so be it. And then work yeah. your way down from there. Man, I thought that I came up with that. And there you figure, Tiger's dad. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I probably heard it from Tiger's dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Jose, listen, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with me and, and being my guest today. Uh, you've had a fantastic career, not only in baseball, but also with golf and the Fellowship of Christian, Christian Athletes. And I applaud you for everything you're doing in that organization and for these players. Uh, thank you for everything you do and uh, good luck for the rest of your career. Well, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for all you do here uh, with FCA. And if I can give a quick plug, the Greenville County High School Golf Tournament is going to be out at Green Valley on April 7th. And FCA is partnering with the Blade Junior Golf Classic. And we're going to host an event uh, after their tournament. Mutt's Barbecue is providing a nice post-round dinner. And we're going to have Ben Martin. Unless he wins in the next few weeks and earns a spot in the Masters, he's going to be out there to share with those athletes and coaches, you know, some golf life and faith stories. And, and I'm excited about that, as well as the uh, shootout with the pros. That's uh, Tuesday, June 2nd at Top Golf, And uh, we're going to have 24 tour pros from the Corn Ferry Tour that are going to be playing in the BMW Charity Pro-Am that week. And they're going to join us for a fun evening, uh, some team competition, a short program. Hoping to have Larry the Cable Guy do a few minutes of stand-up and, and uh, then we'll just have a you know, $10,000 hole-in-one competition after that. So uh, some information will be going out. And if any of the listeners are interested, you know, appreciate you uh, plugging it for us. And thanks again for allowing me to be part of your program. Absolutely. And if you're listening to this episode before those events take place, I highly suggest you check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Jose. Take care. All right, Steve. That's a wrap. That does it for this episode of Go Forth and Golf. I hope all of you enjoyed it. I hope that this makes you a better golfer, and I hope that it helps you enjoy the game even more so. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, go subscribe. And if you feel like I deserve it, give me that five-star rating. That helps tremendously with getting this podcast out there to other listeners. And don't forget to go subscribe or follow on social media, Facebook, Twitter, at GoForthGolf or at GoForthGolfInstruction. It's greatly appreciated. I want to hear from all of you. Interact with me. If you have questions about your golf game, don't hesitate to reach out to me with those questions, and I'll put it on the next episode. Come see me at Willow Creek Golf Club. Make a tea time. You can call us at the Pro Shop or go on our website at willow-creekgolf.com. Again, that's willow-creekgolf.com. To make that tea time, there's going to be a link in the show details. So go check that out. We'd love to see you. We'd love to have you out there. Hope everybody has a fantastic day. And I hope your next round of golf is the best one you have ever played. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game. You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game. <laughs>